This is Office Hours with the Practical Prop and Friends with me, Dr. Santo D. Marabella, your workplace advisor and teacher. Welcome to this edition of Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends. Hi, I'm Dr. Santo D. Marabella, the Practical Prof. It's a real pleasure to be here today talking about really important issues. Uh, the last column, the last series of columns uh, that we did related to mental health in the workplace. And we were talking about you know, COVID, this, this, they talk about the long haul. Well, the, the long haul is not only for people who, who are suffering from COVID, but for those who are just trying to do the right things. So I really wanted to look at the, this, this notion of mental health. And I'm really excited because a, a reader, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you how we found out about us, because you're down in Florida, um, Mr. Harold uh, Mayo. And now, he describes himself as a person whose primary interest is language and how we say what we say and the effects of our choices. And that to help achieve, achieve positives, he strives to help people express themselves positively. But when I did my research, as I just told him and explained, he was not completely forthcoming about all the uh, interesting um, writings he's done, his background as a mental health editor. So let me just read one of the um, bios here. Harold A. Uh, Mayo, and I want to make sure that's the correct pronunciation, is a longtime mental health advocate whose main focus is language, the words we employ, the effect those words have. His advocacy has carried him to many states, the White House, and invitations to speak in Berlin, London, and Ottawa. And of course, you can be followed on the wonderful World Wide Web. So, Harold, thank you so much for coming and welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, me too. This is uh, really exciting. Uh, first of all, I'm so glad you reached out. Um, how did you, uh, we're, we published in the Reading Eagle, how did you uh, learn about the the column or the this particular article? Google is very powerful. <laughs> awesome. I am really excited. Um, so, and I'm, I'm really glad, you know, when people reach out to me, it's, first of all, it's always something I, I respect because people are taking the time to communicate. And that's in itself is just an honor and it's humbling. And then when, when people have, you know, care to share their difference, their their perspectives, that's even better because I learn and look at this. We just, we, we came to do this uh, interview. So I'm really excited about that. I, I'd love to understand how did this start for you? Where, where did your interest in language, I mean, it's really powerful, but where did this come from? It came from a couple of sources. Probably the most important one was studying German and German literature and beginning to understand that author controls word or word controls author. Most of the people that we studied, most of the Dichter that we studied were famous people. And the reason they became famous was that they were in such control of the language that they were using that they developed their own person through it. I learned. Wow through art, 
that one can have considerable freedom, and I learned through German that one can have considerable discipline. Putting the two of them together led me to examine not just the language of literature, but everyday language, the language we employ without thinking. And I began to understand that if we don't employ it with thinking, it's in control. We are not. Right, right. You know, the, the issue that you externalize for me is this notion of um, the stigmatizing of mental health. And it's something that, you know, of course I had heard, of course I, uh, I was aware of, but not really to the extent of what do we do about it? And the whole, sure, it's a, it's an educational process, but you're, what you're proposing is very simple. This is not it rocket is. science. It's, it's extremely simple. One examines the language one is using and decides, is this me speaking or is this not me speaking? Mm-hmm. In about 1970, Irving Goffman published a series of books in which he used language that has become pretty much echoed, not examined, used, but not employed and understood. Okay. He introduced the idea of stigmatizing without addressing who's doing it. Okay. And it is who's doing it that is important, not the idea that it is being done. When women addressed the stigma of rape, the very first thing they said in the 1970s was stop declaring it, you've done enough harm. Wow. It was interesting to see there were no objections to stopping. There wasn't a single voice raised anywhere in the United States of America or elsewhere that I know of that said, no, I'm going to continue. You can't stop me. So let me let me interrupt. So when you say st- just stop this, stop the stigmatizing, stop the word you stop. Which- stop the verbalization. The verbalization is what causes harm. Got it. In Nazi Germany, Hitler decided that he would declare there is a stigma to Jews. There were many, many, many Germans who said, no, I will not. They had to act with care, but they saved as many people as they could by not following an instruction to do something that was against their will. We have not reached that point in the area of mental health. We have not been able to say stop to those who are teaching it. We have not been able to say stop to those who are repeating it. And what happens as a result is it gets repeated and repeated and repeated. Last week, Michelle Obama told her children, and no, she was not speaking directly to them, but yes, she told her children, there is a stigma to mental illness. I am sure she did not mean the words that she used. She meant there are people who have this prejudice but she did not express herself that concisely nor that precisely. So her two children are going to walk away from that knee with my mom says there's a stigma to mental illness. And not only will her children walk away from it with that, journalism walked away with that same message. 
we have to be more precise when we express ourselves. That and that's such a subtle, subtle, but important distinction, because saying there are people who stigmatize mental health is very different than saying mental health is stigmatized. Absolutely. The passive voice is a yeah. tool that nobody should be using. In fact, if you look at the, the study of writing and literature, you will find over and over and over again, avoid the passive voice. It does not identify the perpetrator. It focuses on what the perpetrator has done. And that does not help anybody. Right. Howard University this month is going to have a symposium on, of all things, the stigma of mental illness, not those who stigmatize. Students are going to walk away with that, with the same message that Malaya and Sasha are going to walk away from her mother's knees with. There is. No, there is not. There are people who say there is, and you have the individual right and responsibility to say, I am not going to participate in that. People right. just don't understand fully that they can say no. And every time I hear the phrase, you can say no, I think of Nancy Reagan saying <laughs> yeah. no to drugs. Yeah. Right, right. You have the right to say, say no. no. I spoke with an administrator of FAMU, Florida A&M University, mm -hmm. and I asked what, what would happen if a student were to file a complaint that they were being bullied by that language. And he said, and I quote, well, it's true. There is a stigma. So I can't go to him if I have a problem. And I wrote him back and said, I think it's time for a protocol to be written on what a student can do when somebody is bullying them with that language and I will never hear from him again. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and what you're what you're asking and what you're um, get asking us to do, I can just see you saying this to Michelle Obama and her saying, oh my gosh, I never imagined how I was framing it. And it would be done. It would be, she would have a different awareness and she would never say that again. And it, but making us aware, this is why I wanted you to be a guest because making us aware is so key to this. I want to just say that we're. Uh, this is Office Hours with the Practical Prophet and Friends. This is my new friend, Harold Mayo. And that is that correctly pronouncing your name? I'm sorry, Mayo? I couldn't hear you well. Harold Mayo, is that correct? Yes, the, that is pronunciation. correct. I just want to make sure I'm doing it correctly. That's and the Italian spelling. Exactly. They're not M-A-Y-O, M-A-I-O. <laughs> and, and Harold is a uh, retired medical, mental health editor and um he's here and with full -time us full-time advocate <laughs> and full-time advocate and i wanted that's what i wanted to talk about next is this piece that you shared with me advocacy for and a, a first primer of don'ts you know because i think people are listening now and saying okay i get it language is important so what do I do or what don't I do? And you came up with these, what, nine or so, and I'm sure there's more, but these are really interesting. I just want to read one or two, and then we can talk about them. Um, you, tell you, you say, avoid the intransitive verbs. That brings me back to Catholic school. I do remember transitive and intransitive. <laughs> Are or is. And then you thereby avoid the offensive labeling of people as 
quote, schizophrenics or, quote, a schizophrenic. And you say, instead, use the person-centered language naming and name the illness such as he has schizophrenia. Again, a subtle but really important distinction. One other one, um, avoid mental illness wherever you can say use the fully informative specific diagnosis rather than just broadly labeling. I mean, we're always looking for convenient, quick ways to compartmentalize and box. And, and, and I see here how that's not helpful. Um, avoid the innuendo of stigma. That's which what you just were talking about. It victimized instead. Here's a really thing. You know, this resonates a lot because with whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's whatever movement for uh, social justice, we understand prejudice. You say use prejudice, use discrimination specifics, which can be concretely addressed or redressed. So, so these are really concrete steps that I could share. You could, and I'm sure you do, with people, and they say, "Okay, I get it." Is it really make that much of a difference? Words we use impose pictures upon our minds. The pictures that our minds impose actions. One of the, the first realizations I came to was at a meeting of the board of directors of the Advocacy Center in Tallahassee. The chairman of the board said that people with disabilities merit the least restrictive, least restrictive environment possible. And I looked at him and said to him, I understand that to mean, how many bars do you remove from a window before the restrictions are least less, are lessened enough? And he looked at me and said, that is what it means. And I said, yes. And what you mean to say is most integrated environment. What is the most integrated environment for a person with a disability? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is the environment that that person is most capable in. Changing the negative to a positive changed the way people looked. Those words entered the Americans with Disabilities Act. And on the basis of most integrated environment, Lois Curtis and Elaine Wilson filed a lawsuit against the mental institution that was holding them prisoner all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court where the two women were freed. All it took was changing a negative to a positive for somebody to realize my approach has been entirely wrong. What was most interesting about the lawsuit is that the state of Georgia put all of its power and money behind stopping it. They also enlisted the power and money of the state of Florida. But the language won. And that's the important message. If you can form your language to a positive end, you win. And the opposite is equally true. If you can form it to a negative, you have also won. But what have you won? Right. Lois and Elaine are in freedom as a result of one simple change in language. Wow. Now it's a national law and dozens of people who have been held for no good reason have been freed. 
Now, that does not mean that the most integrated environment for somebody might be an institution. Certainly, the most integrated environment for a mass murderer is a prison. Sure, It's sure. still the better metaphor. Right. No, I get that. Uh, that's That makes complete sense. Uh, I wonder, you know... And I try not to be political. And what I talk with students about when we talk about leadership is character. And I believe character matters. I don't. I don't care, you know, about parties as much as character. And so I wonder, in the last few years, how. Uh, here's my my hunch. It's probably become harder to get to affect this kind of change, given that you know, everybody's a snowflake or given that everybody who, you know, suck it up and you should be tough and you shouldn't let these words bother you, et cetera, et cetera. Have you, have you observed that? Have you experienced that it's harder or am I off base there? It has never been easy. It has always been difficult. When the U.S. Supreme Court decreed that white people have dominion over black people, the entire country fell into line and supported that milieu. Six or seven generations of people grew up with the idea that people who deem themselves white under the Constitution of the United States of America have the right to hold dominion over people they do not deem as white. How do you escape that milieu? It was next to impossible, and at the moment, I can think of no place in history where anyone has addressed the origin of segregation. They have addressed the evil, but they have not addressed the seven men who declared it a constitutional right. How do we get past our history if we don't recognize its beginning? Right. Yeah. I I am totally opposed to opposing segregation until we oppose where it began and began to recognize that an authority told me that I can do this and therefore I am going to. And that's where politics came in. Okay. Philosophy disappeared and politics took over. If I can hold this kind of power over somebody, and now my mind has turned to Lois Curtis and Elaine Wilson I am the superintendent of this institution. I hold power over these two women, and that's all I'm interested in. Power corrupts unless the person behind the power can find a way not to be corrupted. And I don't know how that happens. I, I addressed the president of Harvard, Drew Faust, in a, an email. Mm-hmm. Is there any disability group at Harvard that is being subjected to a stigma? She wrote me back, I hope not. That's the last I heard from her because I sent her three or four examples. The next message I got was from one of her aides. This is not her area. As the president of a university, this is not her area. Horse shit. It was her area. She just decided to throw the ball someplace else. And ironically, she would never have been president of Harvard 
if the previous president had not been deposed by making the peculiar statement that there might be a reason there are few women in the area of mathematics. That so annoyed the female professors at Harvard that they worked to get him <laughs> thrown out. Right. And they did. But when it comes to something other than the rights of women, where do women stand? Well, we have a milieu. The milieu says we do not respect mental illness and therefore you do not have to respect it. And they don't. How do we move from one civil rights win to a second civil rights win. Howard University is making the same statements about mental health issues that people made about segregation today, tomorrow, and forever. Well, if you understood what achieved your freedom, how can you not use that tool to recognize that other people are being deprived, how they're being deprived, and that you are part of being of them being deprived. It, it is next to impossible for some people to understand. The University of Utah is doing research, and one of the questions they're asking is, what is your reaction to the stigma of mental illness? I call that pre-search. They have imposed their vocabulary upon the people they are thinking they are asking a question. They are giving them an answer. I believe there is a stigma to mental illness, so I will put it in my research as pre-search and make sure that the answer I get back is the answer I'm looking for. That's not research. And interacting yeah. with those four or five people at the University of Utah, they tell me, quite frankly, I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, my. It, it is the strangest thing in the world. I suggested to them that they examine their language, that there is a stigma to mental illness is a statement made by people who say there is. Whether you decide to be among them or not, the truth is there are people who say that. There is. Right. That does not mean there, that is. there is. That there is. Now, you're listening and even to. Jews are doing the same thing. I, I, I address Jewish newsletters. Jewish newsletters use the same language. And when you point out to them, to those editors, that they're using the same language that was used against them, some of them react with anger and others of them react with, oh my God, yes, I am. Right. How, how do you reach the, how do you reach the people who don't understand that the prejudice that was expressed against them they are now expressing against someone else I, only I, because they have the permission to do so yeah um I, let me just do a real quick ID uh this you're listening to office hours with the practical prof and friends and my guest Harold Mayo and we're talking about the use of language and how it creates um, harm uh, around the topic of mental health. And, you know, as you're talking about this, I keep thinking of the Santayanas, you know, those who forget history or condemn the repeated, I'm paraphrasing. But then it, it even makes me wonder more, do we always have to have someone to oppress? 
Is that what this is? It's not really the language piece. It's that there's always got to be someone under us. A German saying, nach unten treten, step on those under you to get up. <laughs> wow. I'm, I am afraid that it is a part of human life. I don't like that it is a part of human life, but it seems to be, and it is something one can overcome. It's, it is not always easy to overcome it, Once I recognize, I, I'll go into some personal history. I left a mental institution in 1970-something, I don't even remember when, and went into hiding for two years. And the reason I went into hiding was I was been taught that's what one does. One does not ever be open about such things. Okay. After two years, I decided this is utterly stupid. I'm not helping me, and I'm not helping anybody else by hiding. Mm -hmm. And I started becoming active. My activity brought me to a lot of different places, and it brought me to more brick walls than doors or windows. Yeah. But it hasn't stopped me. Uh, a friend asked me if I was ever going to retire. <laughs> and I can't retire from something I'm not making a living from. <laughs> <laughs> and your spirit of around this and your passion for it will never let you retire. And that's really good for us. Um, I am so glad that you reached out. I am so glad to have this conversation. It is really eye-opening and forces us. It's one of those things now that we cannot unsee. And I'm really grateful to you for that opportunity because I think part of why I write so much and part of why I do these social media things is, is that I'm, I'm on this journey too. And I, I'm not, I don't know everything. I have no, some things about some things that I want to teach, but I also want to learn. And this is one of those moments that you created for us and for me, uh, uh, one of those learning moments for me that I never expected. I expect I was just responding to, uh, uh, some feedback from a reader. <laughs> so it's, it's really wonderful. You, um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate and also how much I support, you know, not knowing exactly, um, how to go forward and knowing I'll probably stumble, knowing people who are listening will probably stumble and be awkward and make mistakes, but that's okay because, we're going to we're going to see and hear and speak differently because of your voice. So, thank you so much for being willing to to talk to me and to be a part of this uh interview today. You're entirely welcome. It's always nice to be asked. Thank you. This has been the Pract um, office hours with the practical prof and friends and my guest Harold Mayo, who is a mental health advocate. And we were talking about language. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends, a production of Marabella Enterprises. Follow us on Twitter at Practical Prof and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at The Practical Prof. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.